like me, then you love our Christmas Bible stories because they make us feel warm and fuzzy and nostalgic like a cup of hot chocolate or Bing Crosby singing White Christmas. We love the idea of three kings knelt in front of the manger in Bethlehem side by side with these stinky shepherds, which is a wonderful picture of Christ bringing people from all walks of life in worship to him. Unfortunately, it's not true because there weren't three kings at the manger. First of all, we don't know that there were three kings. We know that there were three gifts, but we don't know that there were three kings. Secondly, they weren't kings. They were astrologers, most likely from the royal court of Persia. And thirdly, they weren't at the manger. They came months later, maybe even up to two years later after Jesus' birth, and they came to his house. So they weren't there at the manger. So we have not three, not kings, who did not see Jesus in the manger. Instead, we have an unknown number of mystical astrologers who went to Jesus' house and probably saw him waddling towards them. But one thing we know is true is that they is that they brought him three gifts, as Matthew chapter 2, verse 11 tells us. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, they gave him gold because he is a king. And they gave him frankincense because he is God and he's worthy of worship. And they gave him myrrh because he, later on he would suffer. He was a human who would suffer. Later on the cross, he would be offered wine mixed with myrrh, and after he died, his corpse would be made ready with myrrh. So myrrh was a symbol of the suffering. So with these three gifts, we're introduced to Jesus Christ as the suffering king who is both human and God. And the question, of course, is, but why did he... he he chose to suffer because the long and the short is that he did not have to. Well, Mark chapter 10 verse 45 actually gives us a clue. It says here, for even the Son of Man, he, he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why he came is to ransom us. And what that means is that we are sinners and God is perfect. And so we, we cannot be near him. But from his perfect love, Father God sent his son to exchange his life for ours. He came to buy us back from the marketplace of slavery where we were stuck in sin with no hope of escape. He saw us and he ransomed us. And so through Jesus Christ, we can come to God. We can have that relationship restored. We can trade our sin and our shame and our regret and our past. There's no one here that is exempt from this, from this wonderful offer. We can trade our sin and shame and past and regret for his absolute perfection as we place our trust and our hope in him. Um, because what happened at the cross 33 years later is that his, his holiness was actually credited to our account. And our sin was actually credited to his account, which is a totally unfair exchange. But we're, all, but we're always glad for unfair exchanges when it's in our favor, right? And this is totally in our favor. So it's an, an amazing exchange. 
You know, over this past few weeks, we've been invited over to Jesus' house week after week. First of all, we thought that we were the only ones invited, but there have been a few surprise visitors, a few surprise guests. First, we met the floundering family, and we learned this wonderful truth that in into the broken home, God moves in. And secondly, last week, Nathan introduced us to the upscale uncle who showed us that God does not want your stuff. He's not interested in your stuff. What he wants is your heart. And I hope that we're learning that God's door is open to absolutely anyone. And this living room is maybe getting rather full at the moment. And so we choose to move into the dining room where we meet another guest. And she looks at us as we walk in. She kind of sticks her nose in the air and she sniffs like... And she says... Well, Jesus, I didn't realize that you were bringing the riffraff with you today. Well, hurry up. The food's getting cold, and I do so hate lukewarm Brussels sprouts. Now, you notice that this lady has taken the seat at the head of the table, and as you sit down, she introduces herself. She says, hello, I'm Sister Sybil. Jesus, why don't you come and sit down by me? And as soon as she says this, first you think, okay, first we had the floundering family, and then we had the upscale uncle. Well, this must be nothing other than the self-entitled sister. Now, how many of us here today, now I'm speaking to the grown-ups, hopefully, hopefully none of the kids, uh, except for Cody, probably a place to him, but how many of us have ever owned a lemon of a car? Well, what I want you to imagine is if, is, is, is if you tow your smashed up lemon of a car over to a scrapyard and you sheepishly go up to the, you know, the guy who works in the scrapyard and you say to him, how much will you give me for this? He looks at you and he looks at the car and he looks at you again and you realize that this is going nowhere. So you're just about to walk out, out of the door when he says, okay, today is your lucky day. Which, which you think means that he's going to give you 50 bucks rather than making you pay to take this car off, off your hands. But he goes into the back and he disappears for a couple of minutes and eventually you hear the roar of an impressing, oppressive sounding non-lemony car and as he drives into view, driving a Rolls-Royce armored stretch limousine, which is 21 feet long, 563 horsepower, 627 pound-feet of torque, armored plating, top speed of 250 kilometers an hour, price tag is over 2 million US, and he says to you, how about this? He says this to you as he throws you the keys. Now, if you can imagine this, but multiply it by infinity, this is the deal that's on offer to us from God himself. His track record, his holiness, his righteousness for your sin. In other words, it's his limo for your lemon. Which is why we read in the Bible, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
You see, right at the beginning of Jesus' life, when he's just a little toddler, we have these mystical court astrologers who come from so far away, and yet they understand that he's the king, they understand that he's God, they understand that he's human, and they understand that he has to suffer. But what is it that lies at the intersection of these truths, that he's God, that he's king, that he's human, and that he must suffer? What lies right at that crossroads is the truth that Jesus Christ, the servant king, the God-man, came to die for you. He came to exchange the limo of his life for the lemon of your life. He came so that you could exchange your written-off, beat-up lemon of a life for his brand-new, super-powered, fresh-off-the-forecourt life. This is what he did. He came to give us life that is fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit that never gets old or rusty or stolen, but instead is renewed every day. And so the question, of course, is how do you access this? How do you make good on the deal that he has offered? By simply by handing over the ownership of your lemon to him, by handing over the ownership of your life to him in faith Because he gave up what he never should have lost so that you can gain what you never can lose, which is life with him. And I've made that choice. And there are many here in this sanctuary who've who've made that choice, who've signed over the ownership of our lives over to him. And I can tell you that I've never regretted that choice once. Yet, life is as hard as it was, but something has fundamentally changed within me because I know that I never have to face life on my own resources. Instead, I've got the supercharged power of the Holy Spirit within me, like a 563 horsepower engine that empowers me and encourages me and that drives me on because I've exchanged the lemon of my life for the limo of life in Christ. And if I was to hand around this microphone right now, we would hear story after story of people who've exchanged their old lives for new life in Christ. He accepts us as we are, as we come to him trusting him for salvation. He doesn't wait until we are perfect. Listen to that. He does not wait until we are perfect. Because when Jesus, in the book of Mark, told the disciples that he came to ransom them, do you know what they were doing at that moment in time? They were fighting among themselves, trying to secure for themselves the best spot with Jesus, one on his right and one on his left. And that's what sin really does. It makes us think that we deserve the best, that somehow we are owed something. And so, But in his grace, Jesus looks at this self-importance and this self-obsession and this sin in the eye, and he says, I have come to ransom you. I have come to pay for your freedom with my own life. He comes into the midst of our wrongdoing and our pride and our feeling that somehow we're owed something in life. And he says, look, I owe you nothing. I owe you absolutely nothing, but I gave you everything. And isn't that amazing? That in spite of the fact that we're sinners with terrible track records, that Jesus came to ransom us, to free us, to redeem us, and to set us free. And so... What about you over these next few weeks? What about you over this next week? What about you, you know, over Christmas? Are you tired of limping along, of being ruled by the guilt and the, reg- and the regret that marks your life, of feeling that nothing can ever change, so why bother? Are you tired of feeling that your life is a lemon that is barely functioning? 
then say to Jesus simply this, I want to exchange the lemon of my life for the limo of life with you. I want to sign over the ownership of my life over to you. I no longer want to be the boss of me. I confess my sin to you. Would you cleanse me? I no longer want to be in the driver's seat. Take control of my life from now on. That's, that's all that's, that's needed. And that transaction happens in an instant. One thing that these three magi, these three, 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 three astrologers, um, one thing that we have to realize is that there were not three kings in that room at that moment in time. There, were, there was only one king. And they knew that. They understood this. And so these three or however many non-kings knelt down in front of the one king and offered him gifts. That was the right response. On the other hand, we have Sybil, this self-entitled sister who thought she was honoring Jesus by inviting him to sit by her side at the table at what she thought was the place of honor. But she got it way wrong. You see, to Sybil, Jesus was just an extra. But for the Magi, these, these philosophers, Jesus was everything. How do we know this? Because they worshipped him. They knew that faced with Jesus' glory, all they had to offer was the lemon of themselves and they gave it. And in doing so, they gained the limousine of a right relationship with the Lord. They traded and they triumphed God's limo for their lemon. Amen. Amen.